All right, if you would, turn your Bibles to John 12. Let's read our text and then you can have a seat. So we are on Monday of Passion Week in the text. Christ has come in to the city, what we call the triumphal entry. They have celebrated and things have kind of settled down and some Greeks come to see Jesus and he responds to them, to the 12 and probably other Jews around and begins to set forth some things about who he is. And then today we will look at principles that should mark our life if we have faith in him. So John 12, verse 20 through 26. So now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so Philip went and told Andrew, and, and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You may be seated. So I thought about naming the sermon today, Why We Should All Hate Our Lives. But I kind of didn't feel like that might go over real well, but that's the heart of what Christ is talking about. But there's a twist with that, and I think you know what it is, and, and we will talk about that um, today. Christ always calls us in the Bible... To look at our lives in view of eternity, not just in the now. Not just, what do we do now in regard to these things? And so we, we have a call upon our lives to look um, at our faith and look at our life in view and in light of eternity. And so, um, as we saw last week, the text calls us um, to begin to examine the nature of Christ, who He is, um, what He is uh, calling us to do in regard to uh, how to follow Him, what should mark um, our lives. And so we saw last week that, that some Greeks had come to this great Jewish feast, and they had come, and their heart was to worship. Now, we don't know how they found out about Jesus and why they had decided to approach Him, but they have come to draw near and want to have a conversation with Christ. And so... Uh, they come to Philip. Philip has a Greek name. They are Greeks. And so he goes to Andrew. They both go to Jesus and bring, from what we can understand in the text, they bring the Greeks to come to have a conversation, and they want to have this conversation um, with Christ. And so uh, Jesus, upon their arrival, begins to share with them some things about who he is and his mission. And so we saw last week that Jesus, for the first time, we're all through John's gospel. We've been saying now is not the time. Begins to share now. Now is the time. This is the time um, in which I have come to be glorified. And he is referring to his death on the cross that will take place four days later. And he says he will be glorified through this great act. So it is in the death and in the sacrifice of Christ where real true life is going to come for those who have faith in him. And faith in his sacrifice. And so his death would bring the bearing of fruit. And this relationship and this calling of, of, of the world to come to salvation in who he is. And so, so that's kind of where we stopped last week. And then Jesus now makes this much more personal with us in regard to what should mark the followers of Christ. And so I want to kind of go back to last week and begin to draw on a couple of things that are connected to that. Um, and so we will look at uh, some principles with that. So look with me in verse 24, and look with me in those first five verses of verse 24 of John 12. So I put everything, Jesus talked last week about He is the Son of Man, referring back to Daniel chapter 7. And so uh, everything today, I've got one point with many subpoints, and so just bear with me here. So... I usually have lots of points, and I've got lots of subpoints this week, so not many main points. So what, what marks the Son of God, the Son of Man's servants? What marks us? And the first one is found in those first five verses of verse 24, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, 
I say to you. 25 times in John's gospel, Jesus uses this repetitive statement, truly, truly. In every instance of that, Jesus is calling us to really pay special close attention to what he's about to say. Now, everything Christ says is important for us. But in these words, he was, he was really heavily emphasizing something that would be new, that would be added and important for the followers of God to embrace. And so again, 25 times in John's gospel, Jesus says, truly, truly. This is the 17th time as we come to John 12, 24, that Jesus has said this. So when he speaks, I would remind us that these words always are not options for us. These are not things that we just consider. These are not ideas about Christianity. These are things that if we have a relationship with Christ, that we sit up straight, we lean into these things, and we embrace these words. So these are not optional things. And so I want to remind us of some of the things that Jesus has been saying already in regard to truly, truly in John. In John 3, 3, he's having a conversation with Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. So Nicodemus, there must be a second birth that happens and takes place in your life. In John chapter 5, he has fed the 5,000. On the next day, they follow Jesus and pursue him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he shares with them, truly, truly, I tell you, you must hear my word. And he tells them that you must believe in me unto eternal life. That if you want eternal life, I'm telling you, truly, truly, you must believe in me unto eternal life. In John chapter 8, he speaks and says, truly, truly, I say to you that if you're going to make a practice of your life to be engaged in sin, then what's going to happen is you're going to become enslaved by your sin and you will be slaves to your sin. And then in John 8, 58, he says these powerful eternal words where he's communicating with them and the Jews are saying, well, we have Abraham as our father. And so Jesus says, well, truly, truly, I want you to know this, that before Abraham was, I am. I am before Abraham. And so he's setting forth his deity. In John chapter 13, or actually, let me, before we get to there, in John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus says, truly, truly, I want you to know this, that I am the door for the sheep. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, then you must go through the door, and I am that door. And then in John 13, 20, he tells them, truly, truly, that who, he speaks of, whoever receives the one I send receives Jesus and also receives the Father. And then he has two instances that we will look at in the, in the days ahead well, whenever that is. By the way, uh, we're almost two years into our study of the Gospel of John. And, and so as we've been walking verse by verse, and so we've got um, at least probably another 18 months or so before we finish uh, John's Gospel. And, and so as we, as we eventually get to John chapter 13, we will get there. He has two truly, truly's to say to Peter. One of the truly, truly's he says to Peter is this, is, Peter, you've been pretty bold about your faith, but truly, truly, I want to tell you, I want to establish this. Before the rooster crows today three times, you will deny me. And then there's another instance at the end before Jesus ascends and goes into heaven that he has been resurrected. He is, they have gone to Galilee. They've gone out fishing on that day. And, and Jesus, they've not caught anything. He calls out and says, throw your net out. And, and they throw it out. And, and John recognizes that's the Lord. Peter jumps out of the boat, runs up into the shore. And he's having a conversation with Christ on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And John and, and Peter wants to know about John, the apostle. And so he asked Jesus, well, what about him? What about, what about him? What's going to happen to him? Because there is this conversation about, uh, about uh, several things. And so Jesus once again tells Peter, he says, truly, truly, I say to this, Peter, I, wa I want you to know this, that when you are old, people are going to take you by the hand. And they're going to lead you to a place that you don't really want to go. And by this, he was indicating of the kind of death that Peter would give his life, it says there, that would glorify him. So let me tell you what marks God's people. If you have come into a relationship with Christ, as it begins to teach us here in John chapter 12, one of the things that marks the servants of God is they highly 
value and live by the words of God. This should mark our lives that God's word matters, that the pattern of our life is not our opinion. It's, it's what does the scripture have to say? What did, what did Jesus teach us about following him? And so, so Jesus says these Greeks come. And so he's, he's got the Greeks there with him. He's got the 12 that are there with him. More than likely, there are other Jews that are there. And he begins to set forth the things that mark the servants of the Son of Man. And one of the primary things and most important things is that our lives are marked by valuing and living by the words of God. I, I don't know how much you are into seeing what's going on within the Christian world and stuff. And, and we have for a number of years now, um, seen a drift within the church of, of living by man's opinion and not always living by the truth of God's Word. I want to give you a current example, a living example of where we see this, just an indication of where the church is today. Uh, there's a Christian musician, you may, if you listen to Christian radio or music, his name is Matthew West. And probably within the last four to six weeks or so, He's got two teenage daughters. If you've ever had teenage daughters, you, you know that you're concerned about their purity and, and how people see them and, and holiness and righteousness. And so he kind of looked at, took a look at our culture and all the sexualization of girls and, and the exploitation that's there. And he has two, he has two teenage daughters. And so, uh, so he decided to write a song, and it was called Modest is Hottest. And he kind of was kind of tongue in cheek, but he was he was trying to communicate a point to say this, that if you want to be if you want to be godly and righteous and honor God, then modesty is the way, not flouting your sexuality. There's a modesty that the Scripture calls both men and women to. But he he was particularly when he looked at all the stuff that's going on in the culture in regard again in regard to all the sexualization of of young girls. He wrote this song. What he has received, unbelievable backlash over this song. And the backlash, by the way, has not come from the world. It's come from where? The church. Christians. So much attack has been given to him that he has had to take this down because of the things that people are doing and saying and attacking him. It's come from the church. I, I don't know about you, but I, I think the Bible still teaches modesty and righteousness and holiness matter to God's people. And for God's people to have a problem with this is an issue. And it gives an indication that we have lost our way in regard to walking in the truth of the Scripture. We uphold the truth of the Scripture at this church. We know that it must guide our lives, and so we teach verse by verse, word by word. And so one of the things that marks our lives is our lives are marked by, as His servants, we live by the words of Jesus. We lean into those words. We embrace those words, even the hard words that come to us. Here's the second thing that Jesus speaks about, and it's in the rest of verse 24. Our model of our life as servants of the Son of Man is Jesus. We don't have another model. He is our model. We follow Him. We, we see what He says, and so we say those words. How He lived, we want to live. And so the servant's model is Jesus. So as He laid His life down to bear fruit in salvation, we lay our lives down in the fruit of ministry or as moms and dads, we lay our lives down so that our, and teach our kids the truth of Christ so that they will know to differentiate between the lies of the culture and the truth of God's Word that we need in our lives. And so look at the second part of verse 24. This is where this principle comes from. The servant's model is Jesus, so we lay our life down to bear much fruit. And so he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So we talked about last Sunday, and I want to bring it into this Sunday, that we are many of us in this room who've, or most of us probably, who have come into a relationship with Christ. We have come into that relationship 
as a result of the fruit of his death, somebody began to tell about Christ dying. They began to tell someone about Christ dying. People believed. Those people told other people. And so here we are in this room this morning. The fruit of the original death of Christ, bearing our sin, falling into the ground from His life, His, his resurrection, His ascension. The fruit of His life is salvation in the lives of people. And so we are here today, the fruit of the life of Christ. Now all of that comes through Him. But he, he, his means was, is that he would use people to speak about this. And so we are here because somewhere along the way, somebody told us about he who died on the cross to call us into relationship with him. So our call, one of the things that marks us, because he is our model, is that as he laid his life down to bear fruit, to bring people into salvation, we lay our lives down to tell people of the gospel and of the hope that they can have in Jesus Christ. And so there, let me give you three practical ways to learn about how do, we, how do we lay our lives down to honor Him. One of the ways is what I've already talked about is look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and look at those who deeply loved God and they did so and loved Him and remained faithful in the midst of times in their culture where nobody around them was embracing the truth of God or walking with God. Another great example within the Scripture, so again, Old Testament, New Testament, many, many examples of those who faithfully walked with God in the midst of difficult days. One of the best ones to look at is the book of Acts. It is inspired Scripture, and in the book of Acts, we see so many great examples from Peter and John and Paul and Silas, and Barnabas, and Philip, and multiple people there who, who took the gospel to the nations in their lifetime in the first century to establish the church and to begin bearing fruit. There is so much to learn from the men and women in the, in the book of Acts about how do we do this. Let me give you a third one that, that if you're a follower and you like to, follower of Christ and you like to read, one of the other great things that you can do in your life to learn about how do we lay our lives down to bear fruit for the gospel is read Christian biographies. Read them from way back when. Look and see how people in the 1300s and the 1500s and the 1700s, people under really difficult times, read current things. There's some great biographies even now of, of what, what God is doing through missionaries. And let's, we can learn so much about how do we lay our lives down. So we have people in the Scripture, we have people throughout history who are examples for us and how that we do that. And they laid their lives down because their model was Jesus as well. And I believe that one of the, one of the best ways and, and maybe the only time in which we are greatly impacted or impactful for the gospel around us is when we lay our lives down for the name of Jesus. So one, the son of man's servants are marked by living by the words of Jesus and that he is our only model. We can learn from others, but he is our only main model in which we learn how to lay our lives down and bear fruit. And we're going to spend the majority of our time next in this next principle. And I'll just, let's just be honest. Um, These are heavy words. And uh, because of the way we do things here at LifePoint, we walk verse by verse, and so we encounter some of these passages. Many churches today, well, they won't even read John twelve twenty five. Just speaks about hating your life and laying your life down and crucifying your flesh, and and so they they won't even talk about these things. But I want to remind you of something. So I'm, this is a response question. So y'all ready? Response question: Is God all good? So is what we are about to read all good? Absolutely. So though, it, though it's going to call us to account the cost of crucifying and daily following Him, these words are good. So again, 
This is not because God's this cosmic killjoy up there, and he's like, boy, I just want to make sure that nobody on earth ever has joy in their life. These words are for our good that we need to embrace, even though they're strong words. And they, they just get all up in our face and, and just get really close and uncomfortable. They are what we need to hear. So look at 25. Here's the third principle about the servants of the Son of Man. They desire to lose their life to gain life. So 25, whoever, Jesus says here, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now the context of 25 is in the world in which we live here, not heaven, in the world here, how do... Servants of the Son of God, how do they live their lives in a way that glorifies Him and doesn't buy into the lies of the culture, stands in the truth and walks with Him faithfully? How do we do that? How should we view our life? And so here's what Christ says. Whoever, general word, whoever, whoever out there needs to hear this, whoever wants to to make much of their own life in this life, you will lose your life. You will not win. But whoever doesn't want their life to be so deeply ingrained within the culture, buying all of the lies and getting caught up in that and ruining your life, if you say no to that, you will save your life by hating your life and you will keep your life to eternal life. In Christianity, there's this great paradox all the time you want to be the greatest of all jesus said don't get a throne be a servant of everybody if you want to be great this is how you do that and so jesus sets forth for us here whoever loses whoever loves his life loses it but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life this is not the first time that he had said this matthew ten thirty nine says this whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Luke 9, 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You'll hear this today in our culture. I've got to find myself. I've got, I got to find myself and kind of get myself together. That's not biblical. It's not biblical. What's biblical? No, you lose yourself. Listen, our self is the problem. We are the problem. We, we are our own worst enemy. Yes, yeah, Satan's after us, absolutely. He's a liar. He's been a liar from the very beginning, Jesus tells us. But we are the ones who buy the lie. So that's why we've got to know the truth, value the words of God, so when the lies come, we can discern those things. And so, so Jesus says here, He says, listen, here's the thing. You, you don't try to find your life, you lose your life. And as you lose your life for the gospel, the life of Christ who has saved you and rescued you and lives inside of you, that life now lives in you and through you and empowers you and I to walk with Him in faithfulness. And so through the years, um, I've been at this for a long time now and had multiple conversations in American culture and Asian culture and European culture and all the different places that I have been and lived. And I've met so many people who think that you can separate or think that these words about hating your life are optional. That this is not mandatory for us to look at our life in the manner in which Jesus is speaking about it here. We are to lay our lives down to crucify our flesh in order to walk with Him. So the Greeks have come looking for life, and so Jesus says, listen, if you want to hold on to your life here, do everything you can do to get whatever you want to get and make much of your life here, you will lose your life. But if you want to keep your life all the way to eternity, here's the thing, you give your life to Christ and allow His life to live inside you and empower you to walk with Him. And so are we willing to let go, to follow Him, or are we willing to just hold on to this life 
here. I've discovered in my life and meeting and talking with people that many people want a Savior, but not many people want a Lord. And I just want to remind us this morning, you can't separate those from Christ. He's Savior and Lord. He's just not Lord. He's not just Savior. He's Savior and Lord. And so when He calls us to follow, He wants us to not just seek saving of our sins, but we need a master to live His life in us, to enable us and equip us and empower us to walk in holiness and obedience with Him. So I can't sugarcoat this because Jesus didn't. This is an invitation this morning from Him to come and die to our ways to all the things of the world that the world has to offer and so if you love your life here that's full of sin and hopelessness and me-centeredness we will lose our life but if we hate that way of life sinfulness and lostness and lack of hope and we come to him as our hope we will keep our life for eternal life. And so many love this life here so much that they refuse to cast it aside and renounce the ways of the world and they keep it now and they will lose their life for all of eternity. And when we care, let me, let me say it another way, when we care so much more about the physical life here and what we can get than the eternal life then we will always lose the perspective of the purpose of what our life should be about and to embrace 2020 was full of this the whole world shut down for this reason i've got to stay alive physically and the whole world didn't stop and think how do i come alive spiritually that's the greater thing. And we got so caught up in the fear of, of all of that, of staying alive physically, that people died spiritually, eternally separated from God. And Christ here is calling us to not look at our life in the here and now and physically and about possessions and all of that stuff. He's calling us to look beyond this life, to have a, a view of eternity that who He is and where and what he offers and where he wants to lead us as our ultimate home should be the greater priority in our lives. And so things got so out of balance in 2020, it's kind of continuing there. Some people in our country want to keep this up. This stay alive, stay alive. I, I want to live, I want to live here. I do. I do want to live here. But I want to be with him more than I want to be here. I want to be with my Jesus. I want to be in his presence. And so as long as he leaves me here, I want to live. I want to be alive. And that should be your motto in thinking as well. We are not meant to stay here. We are sojourners passing through a foreign place to where we are eventually going to live in the presence of Almighty God. So, we have to keep this balance, and that's why Jesus is using strong language to call us to look at things this way. Let me give you three perspectives to help remind you and I of why we don't want to get caught up too much in life here. And the first one is simply kind of what I've been talking about already, but let me just say it in a more succinct way. Three key things concerning loving our life in this world. One is this. Don't just live with a view of this life only. Live with a view of eternity. And that's what Christ does here. You'll hear this today because of a popular pastor in Houston, Texas. Um, his message goes out and it's live your best life now. If this is the best life now, I really don't want to have anything to do with it. I know I'm a fine living specimen standing before you this morning. You can see what kind of shape I'm in. And, um, but the honesty is this body hurts in the middle of the night. My bones pop when I walk. My ankles do. 
this body's breaking down, and those of you who are older, you know that as well. It, it, this, we are not meant to stay here. We are breaking down from the moment that we are born. We are, again, not going to last here for forever. And so our best life is not ever going to be lived now. Our best life is going to be lived in eternity. And yet now, in the midst of a broken world, I want to remind you and I, we can so enjoy this life. There's so much good to enjoy here and to experience. Jesus isn't talking about not ever having joy, having direction, having hope in this life. There are some awesome things on planet Earth. I have a thing in my garage. Over the last four weeks, I've brought it out six times. And I've made homemade ice cream. On this planet, one of the greatest things in the history of the world, I would not have wanted to live 2,000 years ago. I'm glad I live now because of ice cream. One of the great things God has allowed us to make and experience. I've been to some unbelievable places on this planet that just you're, and I know you have too, your jaw drops at the majesty of God and His creation. I've been in a hospital room five times with the birth of my five children and amazed at the wonder of God in childbirth and how awesome and incredible God is. So in this life here, he's not talking about don't find things that you love. He's talking about this. Don't live by the lies that will keep you out of eternity. And keep you from experiencing, knowing the depth of the joy of the experience. So don't live thinking that your best life is now. It is not. Are you all with me? This is not it. It's, I think it's great here. Sometimes it's really awful here. But I think knowing Him enables us in the difficult days to be sustained and have a better perspective. Here's the second thing. We must not live as Christ followers for what everybody else in the culture is living for and what they value. Let me give you a text with that. I want you to go back to Luke's gospel for a moment. Chapter 12. And I want you to look with me in Luke 12. In verse 15. So a guy had come to him and said, hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus is like, I'm not your judge. And so Jesus says, well, I'll use this moment to teach a principle here. You've got brothers fighting over possessions, things. So in verse 15, Jesus said this. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Listen to what he says here. For one's life, your life, does not, does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So let's just stop there for a moment. Our life cannot be measured by the kind of vacations we take, the kind of neighborhoods we live in, the kind of cars that we drive, the kind of food that we get to eat, the kind of neighborhoods and clothes and etc. all of this kind of stuff. That's not what marks our life. Is it wrong to have those things? He doesn't say it's wrong. He says your life doesn't consist of those things. So don't place such a high value on all of that stuff. Look at 16. And so then he told him a parable to illustrate what he had just said, that life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. So he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And so he thought to himself, notice that, he didn't bring God into the picture. He just thought to himself, I'm the master of my own destiny. I have made this. I have produced this. And so he thought to himself, and I want you to notice all of the eyes and mys that he speaks. Leaving God out of the picture. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, well, I will do this. I will tear down my, in parentheses, current barns and build larger ones. And there I 
will store all of my grain and my goods. Let me just stop there for a moment. Who owns the whole world? God. So whose crops and whose barns were these? God's. He didn't even ask God, should I tear down my old barns or should I just give away all of my crops to make sure other people? He didn't, he didn't even consider God. And, and maybe God would have said, build bigger barns to help people. But he didn't consider God at all. He just thought about himself. Look at 19. And I will say to my soul, let me just stop there for a moment. Look up here for a second. Don't go walking around talking to your soul out loud. People will think that you've got some problems. But this guy, look how self-centered, me-centered this guy is. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So watch, he's been speaking a lot about how awesome he is. But who always gets the last word? God does. So God speaks into the midst of this man's life in verse 20. But God said to him, that's foolish, you're a fool. This night, your soul that you've been talking to, it's going to be required of you. And the things that you have spent so much time making much of yourself and you have prepared, whose will they be? And so is the one, Jesus says in 21, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Listen to these words from John, same writer that we're reading here in his first letter, 1 John 2, 15. And again, I just want to remind us this morning, these are not my words, these are Holy Spirit-inspired words. Listen to the strength and the warning in these words. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, keeping your life here, making much of things here, listen to what John writes. The love of the Father is not in that person. Not in that person who makes much of this life here. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world, John writes, is passing away. And its desires are passing away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So in these three key things, don't just live with the view of this life only. Don't live for what everybody else is thinking. I've made it. We've made nothing if we don't know know Christ. We just have stuff here that somebody else is going to get. Thirdly, Loving your life in this world, treasuring your life in this world, keeping your life in this world means that we lose our life. And so he says that in 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. You see, the danger is to love our own way so much and deciding never to abandon it. But if you want to keep it for eternal life, the great return of, and value of losing our life is we get eternal life where Christ is right now, we get eternal life in heaven, in His presence. Now let me remind us of what He's not saying here. I kind of touched on it a while ago. He's not saying that you can't enjoy your stay on planet Earth. That is not what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, He said this in John 10.10. He said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life, and to give it how? abundantly abundantly i've come to give you an abundant life far more you could ever imagine so he's again the great joy here comes in his life being lived through us as we surrender and hate the course and the ways of this world so that righteousness and holiness and his life would be alive in us and remind us of what paul wrote in galatians 2 20 Famous verse, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the, fl- in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's living. So in a sense, 
We need to see this. We are dead already to the ways of this world because of the salvation that has come to us. And so our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is this great paradox. To keep our life, how do we keep it? We lay it down and give it away. Yet that doesn't make any sense. Well, it does in God's mind. It makes total sense. You, you want to keep your life, you lay your life down and you give it away. If you want to be great, you become a servant of everybody. If you want to live, what do you do? You die. We crucify ourselves daily, carry our cross so that we may live and we may follow Him. You see, these principles are why the culture, our current American culture, looks at authentic Christ followers and just go, y'all are crazy. Y'all make no sense whatsoever. Because our life is a paradox. It's, it's totally different. They want to love life here, get everything here, with no thought toward eternity. We live in light of eternity, knowing that we're just passing through. And the fruit of our life should be the laying down and, and sharing the gospel and people coming to be encouraged and coming to faith in Christ. So I brought a couple things with me this morning. My, our, our, our kids have apartments, but they send all their mail to our house still, so we constantly have packages that show up. And I thought, I thought this week about the, so there's, I don't know what all stuff, stuff came in this. And they come to our house all the time, and I don't buy any of them, but they come all the time to my house. And I want to be honest with you, the smallest package in the entire world is a Christian wrapped up inside himself. That's the, you want to know the smallest package in the world is people who have been rescued by the majesty and the blood and the greatness and the holiness and the righteousness of God. And they live their lives making much of themselves and not Jesus. That's the smallest package in the world is Christ followers wrapped up in the things of this world. And so many today are just unwilling to let go of this life to gain eternal life. And Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross monthly. What does it say? Daily, not yearly. Not at Christmas time and Easter. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So why did he, they probably looked at each other. Those Greeks are like, man, well, this is way more than we bargained for. They probably looked at you. What did he just say? We have to die to self. And it's, sometimes it's hearing some of the words of saying there's a great cost that's there, but it's worth it. And I think you know that. Let's go to the next one. And we'll speed up here. The servant serves Christ alone. That's what they're marked by. So Jesus says in the first part of 26, If anyone serves me, so we serve him, not the world. The servant of Christ has one master, not many masters. And perhaps this is for the Greeks who are present to let them know that the kingdom of which Jesus will lead will be made up of those who serve Jesus. And the more you and I die to self, the more we live unto God. And the more His life is manifest inside of us. We are slaves. He is the master. We follow what He says. Mark Twain one time knew a man who was a ruthless businessman. He's kind of a braggart and boastful. And he said one day to, to Mark Twain, he said, before I die, I'm going to take a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and I'm going to climb up Mount Sinai and I'm going to read aloud the Ten Commandments. And Twain said, why don't you just stay here in Boston and live them by your life? You see, we... We are to serve and embrace the truth of the Scripture and live it out. And Jesus taught us this. When He was tempted in the wilderness, 
hadn't eaten and fasted. He had fasted for 40 days. And the enemy came to him. He said to Satan, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Then he came again and he said, Stop it. No, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. And in those words, Jesus teaches us that what we worship, we what? We serve. What we worship, we serve. And so here Jesus says, listen, if you're going to follow me, you will worship me. And that what will flow out of that worship is serving me. And again, we, we deeply share in Christ's glory when we, share, we serve him only. And so in spending my life, you spending your life to serve Christ, He is greatly, greatly glorified. Next, the servant serves, and as they worship and serve Him, He says this, if anyone serves me, the next part of 26, He must follow me. If you're going to serve me, you will follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also so serving him watch is seen expressed by following him in other words obeying him so christ followers imitate what christ does what he says what do we do we say what christ says as we see how christ loved broken people what do we do we love broken people in that way we affirm what he calls us to do So following Him means obeying His precepts, His principles, and any other thing that He says is valuable, we embrace those things that are written in the pages of Scripture. Following means imitating and walking in His path. And so He says this. Let's put all the 26 together. If anyone, you want to follow me, means you will serve me. That's connected to worshiping. And you, He must follow me. And as you follow me, watch this, this is amazing. If you followed me around today, and don't, but if you follow me, I'm going to take a nap this afternoon, I don't want to take a nap with anybody but myself. But if you were to follow me around today, where would you be every time? Where I am, right? Listen to what Jesus says here. If you serve me, it means you're following me, and when you follow me, look what he says there, you will be where I am. The question is, what does that mean? Well, I think one meaning is this. God is at work in the world today. We look and observe, where is He at work? What is He doing? And we see as we follow Him, where is He at work? And when we follow Him, we follow Him to where He is at work, and we are present where He is doing things. Now, I I just I want to share this because we can't get into this country, but I think eventually we may be able to, to do so. I, if you're a part of the internal private Facebook page uh, of LifePoint, I put something in there on Friday. There's been over the last several years, and I've said this before from the platform, but there's been more recent studies. The greatest explosion of the gospel on the planet right now is in the country of Iran. Should think about that for a second. They are literally think that there are thousands upon thousands of people every day in the country of Iran that are coming to faith in Christ. They have they are forced to go underground, kind of worse than China. Uh, the Iranian churches only have about four people per house church because they have to be so secretive about what they're doing. And watch this. Yet in the midst of such oppression. Look what God's doing with the gospel. The fastest growing church today is in a Middle Eastern oppressive government. Look at our country. We have great freedom still. And the gospel is growing slowly because we have become smothered and enslaved to our freedom. It's killed us. And I think what the church needs, honestly, in America is pressure so that we will take this serious the way Jesus speaks about it here in John 12, 25, and 26. 
So if we follow him, we will arrive where he is. And sometimes he's like, I'm just going to do stuff and watch me, what I do. And I have good news this morning as we finish up. Ultimately, those who come to faith in him and crucify their flesh and follow him and hate their life in this world don't want to buy into all the lies in the culture and all of this stuff and we repudiate all of this critical race theory we 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 don't embrace that we don't embrace all the gender stuff that's going on we don't embrace and affirm pride month in this country we don't affirm the slaughtering of unborn children we as his people don't get angry and, and berate. What do we do? We, we lovingly, firmly, strongly speak truth to our culture. Calling them that there is a life that is connected to the words of God in a relationship with God. And so we stand. Sometimes, yeah, it's boldly and strongly and not swerving. Walking straight, not going to the right or to the left. We stand. And eventually, because we are passing through, we watch this, we will eventually end up where he is. And so on earth, we follow him. And as we follow him here, we end up being where he is, where he's at work. And then eventually, when this life is over, we will be where he is, which is where right now? Seated at the right hand of his Father. We will eventually... When this life is over, be with him in eternity. Listen to these words. John 14, 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. John 17, 24. Father, he's praying, I desire that they also whom you have given me, they may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This life has pains and trials, but if we will come to faith in Christ and we will die to self as we receive Christ in faith, we get this great promise of an eternal inheritance with Him in heaven. And right now in this room, right now, I, I just boldly say it and confidently say it and I, I humbly say it, but I say it boldly. I belong to Christ. He has redeemed me. And I'm amazed by His grace that He's rescued somebody like me and He's entrusted me to, to proclaim His truth on a weekly basis. And so right now, I know I'm a child of God, but I know that what I am right now is what I will, will be. He has something so much better for his people. Then let me prove it. First John 3 2. Beloved of God, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. I can't wait. He's going to transform my brokenness and my desire for godliness, and I don't get it right. I don't get godliness right all the time. But because I'm following him, because you are following him, eventually we will end up where he is, and when we see him, we will be transformed into who he is. Here's the last principle. The Father honors the life that honors the life of Jesus. Last part of 26. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And I tell you, our culture gives so many godless and confusing things, honors so many godless and confusing things. And as Christ followers, we must not bow to any of those And it's only in spending our lives for the gospel that the Father will honor our life ultimately. Get a great resume. Congratulations. 
But if you don't know Christ, it doesn't matter. You get your blessing here, but for all of eternity, somebody will be separated from God. So let me close with this. I read a story a few months ago that I thought would be fitting as we finish our time this morning. In 1981, there was a man who wanted to go to the remote Alaskan wilderness to photograph the natural beauty of the tundra there. So he got lots of photo equipment together. He had 500 rolls of film, several firearms he got together in case he encountered wildlife that would be way bigger that he could deal with. He took with him 1,400 pounds of provisions, and they flew him in and dropped him off in this place. He started keeping a journal early on in those days. And as the months passed, the entries in his diary, which at first detailed just the incredible wonder and fascination of all the things that he saw there, the wildlife around him, began to turn into a pathetic record of a nightmare that was becoming his life. In August, he wrote these words, I think I should have used more foresight about arranging my departure, but I guess I'll soon find out. He had made all these plans to go and had not made any plans for somebody to come get him and to bring him out. He waited and waited, but no one came to his rescue. In November, he died in a nameless valley by a nameless lake 225 miles northeast of Fairbanks. They did a big investigation to find out what in the world happened, and it revealed that, listen to this, he had carefully planned for his adventure, his experience. But he had made no provision to get out. Incredibly short-sighted. And yet, how many people live their lives today without making any plans for the next life? No plans. And I want to plead with your soul this morning that if you have not come to Jesus Christ, that you would believe that he died on a cross, that he rose again, and that a confession that he died and rose will rescue your soul. And from that moment on, you began to hate your life and the lies of this world, and you began to live for him, and you will save your life for eternal life and not ruin your life. And I'm not talking about fire insurance this morning, okay? I'm talking about do you, have you come to a place where you know that there is a way out of this world, in the midst of this world, to rescue you, to give you the hope of eternal life? And if you do not know that, then right where you sit, even as I speak, or as we sing in a moment, you just silently where you stand, you, you tell him, because he's got the greatest ear in the world. He hears the quietest prayers that have ever been prayed. He hears them all. And you can say to him, I need you. I am in control of my own destiny. And I am not going to get myself there. You came. You died. You rose. And so I confess your death. I confess my belief that you rose. And I, and I want you to rescue me from my sin. That's what this morning is about. That's what these words are about that Jesus is telling these Greeks. If you want to keep your life to eternal life, then you have to lose your life to the ways of this world. And you must come to Jesus. And you can think all you want to think this morning that I'm just doing preacher talk. These are Christ's words. These are His words that we have examined today, lovingly telling the 12 Greeks and other Jews that day, these are the terms. These are the terms. Come to me. Serve me. Follow me. Hate the ways of this world. And I will bring you into the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven. 
where I give life and I give it abundantly. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and thieves come and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust and thieves cannot come in. For where your treasure is, there your life and your heart will be. And if we don't treasure Christ and the hope that he offers, then we are treasuring so many false things. And I love you enough this morning to tell you the words of Jesus. And by the way, he'll let you hold on to your life to lose it. But he's lovingly this morning saying, I've offered my life so that you can keep your life to eternal life. That's pretty good bargain. <laughs> Unbelievable that that's offered to us. So these are the words of Christ. The terms, the markings of the servants of the Son of Man. Let's pray together.